0: How are you? It is a joy and a privilege to be with you, as, as Chris mentioned. Um I was here for the very first service, I was part of the team for the first six months when it was Nelson Bay Christian Life Centre, I started meeting in the little theatre at the Tomaree Tafe Campus, they for some reason, Pastor Greg and Robin, bless them, they trusted me to play bass, I'd never picked up a bass before in my life and um, somehow, despite all my efforts, the church has grown. Uh, So uh, it's an honour to be here, I send you greetings from Macquarie Life Church, Pastor Mark and Roz say hello. Hello. uh, 2020, what a year, eh? What a year, what a year. Uh, it's a bit different. It's a bit unusual. Uh, but anyway, uh, Australia's response to the COVID lockdown is a, a little bit like the Spice Girls Tour reunion uh, thing. Everyone's really doing a very good job, except Victoria. Uh, yeah, not good, not good. Um, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Uh, you would Maybe if you might have seen my son Parker running around, he's here. My wife Carly is here, of course. I am punching. You are too beautiful for me, uh, I realise that. Um, uh, any invoices from the damage my son causes in Kids Church, please send them to Macquarie. A little bit about me. I was born in Tassie, so <laughs> give me six. Yeah, thanks. Thank you, everyone. Um, I got saved in Canberra at a Youth Alive rally. Uh doing great work. Anyone from Canberra? Anyone from Canberra? No? Good. The good thing about giving your heart to Jesus when you live in Canberra is that from that point on, every night, you can get down on your knees and pray, sweet Jesus, get me out of Canberra. <laughs> uh, she's not an exciting town. Uh, did you know, did you know that if you are on the electoral roll as living in Canberra, you are not allowed, by law, you are not allowed to look out the windows in the morning? Because that way, there's something for you to do in the afternoon. <laughs> um so saved in Canberra I entered ministry in in Newcastle at Macquarie um and then we were sent out from Macquarie to start a church in Melbourne 10 years ago God had some other plans uh and so we we hooked up with a church there called Enjoy a very uh, quite a a large church in 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 Melbourne and that was really good for exposing us to ministry and uh, ministry thinking and things along those lines and now we're back we're back my wife and I have the privilege of leading the young adults uh, at Macquarie and we're trying to wreak as much havoc as we can there. And uh, it's great to be back here at Baylife Church. You, you guys have done so well. Um, I, the last time I spoke here, we were in the kids' room and now you're here. You've got a beautiful auditorium. It's wonderful to see what you've done with the joint. And I'm, I'm, I'm proud of, of what you guys have become. This is an awesome church. You guys are spectacular. So, thank you for having me. Uh, so, I've introduced you to Carly and Parkers out there. Uh, oh, there's someone in our family I haven't introduced you to. I've got a photo of him up on the screen. This is Hendrix, our cat. When we first got, <laughs> shoot him, uh, when we first got him, Carly said, "Oh, Craig, he's he's got your eyes." Oh. <laughs> like a fool, I responded, "Oh, Carly, he's got your claws." Um, you'll. <laughs> love you. Uh, you. You're probably thinking, why is this maniac introducing us to his cat? You'll find out in a minute. Uh, I want to give you a, a teaching this morning, a, a new perspective on worship and, and sin that for me has opened up a more intimate relationship with the Father heart of God. Uh, more, more access to, to what his heart is for me. Um, when we go through this stuff, you'll see how it's, it's easier for me to bring my failings into the light with him. So when I fail, when I sin, when I stuff up, rather than running away from him, now I find myself running to him. So I want to talk about that today. Uh, As as mentioned, we've moved back from Melbourne. When we we moved to Melbourne, we we built a house in a suburb called Point Cook, which is on the western side of the bay, and it was a brand new estate, so there are a lot of new houses going up at the same time. And our neighbour is an Indian chap called Baz, Baz. And he, comes, he came from a completely different culture to us and it was interesting getting to know him that even though totally different backgrounds, totally different interpretations of things, there are a couple of commonalities, a com- couple of, of similarities that I had with Baz. We had similar jobs like an admin and, and, and government-based job. Uh, we had uh, similar things in our marriages that we talked about, the, the struggles, the victories. We had similar circumstances you know, financially, everything like that. And we got to know Baz quite well and we did have a lot in common. One thing that we did have in common is our morning routine. So when I got up in the morning, I would get our cat, I would get a coffee, I'd get the Bible app on my phone, I'd sit on my couch and I'd have a devotional. I'd I'd talk to Jesus, I'd start my day with Jesus. Baz did something somewhat similar. When he got up, he would go into a room in his house that was completely empty, except for one thing, and it's up here. That's a statue of Ganesh, the Hindu god of removed obstacles. So while I was reading my little app, verse of the day that came through on my phone and all that jazz, Baz was praying to Ganesh that he would clear a path through his day. My friend Baz worshipped an idol. But the more I read of the scriptures and some of the stuff that we'll pull up today, I realise that I worship some too. And I'm going to hazard a guess that maybe I'm not the only person in the room who has idols in place. Uh, Idolatry is the number one thing, we'll pull it out from the scriptures, but it's the number one thing that gets in the way of us relating to God as Father. It's the number one blockage between us and our Father's heart. So I want to explore that today. Idolatry isn't just natives bowing down to wooden statues in a country far away. There are things in our world here today that we worship, that we put our faith into, that aren't Jesus. And the Scriptures don't pull any punches about idolatry, especially in the Old Testament. Idolatry is the most frequently used category to describe unbelief. It's a really serious charge that God commanded his people and his followers to avoid. And it's the chief identifying characteristic, it's the number one characteristic of the really nasty types, really evil nations in the word of God. In Kings, in the book of Kings, God would label a kingdom as either good or wicked based on one thing. Did they bring more idols in or did they push the idols out? And he would either bless a kingdom or or wipe out a dynasty based on whether the king was into idolatry or not. So it's big business. And even in the New Testament, if you read Ephesians and Colossians, the Apostle Paul lumps things like uh, lust, greed, coveting, and he puts them under one category, idolatry. So to access and to understand the heart of the Father more and more, we've got to push these idols out of our lives and make greater room for God in our churches, in our families and and in here, in our hearts. Okay, let's get into the word. Ezekiel 14, I think we've got it up on the screen. God fair gets off his bike with Israel and he reads them the riot act. It's up here, verse 3. Son of man, These men, and look at the imagery of what he's talking about here, these men have taken idols into their hearts and put wicked stumbling blocks before their faces. Why should I let them inquire of me at all? If my people are going to worship idols, why should I even hear them? Idols don't just exist in shrines, but in the hearts and minds of people like you and me. So what does idolatry mean for us today? My favourite author, my man crush, is a guy called Tim Keller from Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York. He's written a book called Counterfeit Gods and this quote from it is just punching. An idol is anything more fundamental than God for your happiness, your meaning in life or your identity. It's something that you look to more than God for your contentment in life. So how do we end up at this point? Let's have a look at Genesis 1, 26 and 27. This is where God is setting up the world. He's setting up the systems of how we are to relate to him and to know our place in the bigger picture. Genesis 1, 26, 27. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over, that's a key phrase there, rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals, all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So a two-pronged original plan of attack for God. Firstly, worship and serve him. And secondly, rule over all created things. Well, the biblical term is have dominion over them. But then if you read in Genesis 3, just a couple of chapters later, sin walks in the door and things are flipped on their head. Man started worshipping created things, and they started having dominion over us. These created things ruled over us. Romans 1.25, the Apostle Paul, so this is New Testament, it's not just an Old Testament concept. Paul expresses mankind's original sin as an act of idolatry. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. So people were still worshiping but the object of their worship had changed. It had adjusted from looking to the creator to looking to the creation. And today people, you know them, dare I say, we're probably involved in this ourselves. We're pursuing happiness, meaning, security in created things like uh, our careers, like money, like marriage, like like sex, like uh, physical attractiveness like popularity, like Instagram likes, like success in ministry. And we're looking to these for security and identity rather than God. Idolatry starts when the fulfillment our spirits should get from our Father in heaven, we we try to seek it from something else. Here we go. I bet you didn't think you'd hear from a French philosopher on a Sunday morning in Nelson Bay. But this is Alexis de Tocqueville. Idolatry, uh, le, idolatry, uh, idolatry is taking an incomplete joy of this world and building your entire life on it. What, What a statement. You've seen it. You've seen people who have built their identity and everything they are about on their business their sporting career and then an injury hits them, their pursuit of a particular person for marriage and then they end up with someone else or the marriage disintegrates and suddenly everything collapses because they've essentially been worshipping that outcome. We think there's something in addition to Jesus, Jesus plus X, that can fulfil us and we desire it so much that we lose our contentment and our peace in God. So how do we build these things? How do we get ourselves into this, into this position? Well, we, we define a significant problem for ourselves. Let's, let's call it a, a little version of hell on earth. And it's an outcome or a situation that we want to avoid at all costs. And if we were to pass the microphone around, we'd sanitise it first, if we were to pass the microphone around, I reckon we'd hear of all little versions of hell in this room different outcomes that you are fearful of Uh, so um, it could be out of shape hell overweight hell uh, I'm thought of as stupid hell uh, being embarrassed hell being poor hell uh, I'll never own the latest iPhone hell I'll be single forever hell I'll never get into ministry hell my child will never get saved hell my daughter won't grow up to be a worship leader like Darlene Check, hell. And we live in fear of this hellish situation because frankly, Baylife, I don't want to go to uh, out-of-shape, stupid, unmarried, childless, iPhone-less hell where my kid is delivering pizzas instead of delivering worship. And then we look for an answer to keep us out of that hell. We create a, a mini saviour. It's not Jesus, but it's something else that we worship and we seek to keep us out of our hell. So I've got friends that are on, frankly, stupid diets. I've got friends that are workaholics, I know people who are just sleeping around with anything that moves. Uh, they're always needing a girlfriend. Um, I've got, we know people who are putting so much pressure on their children to become something that they are not intended to be. We've got single people, oh, I need to get married. We've got married people, oh, I need to get divorced. It's crazy. Because we, we elevate a created thing up to the level of being a god... And then we worship it and we serve it. (laughs) For many Australians, their idol is money. In my work outside of church, I work for a government department that's focused on financial education for the Australian community. So we've done surveys uh, which which have pulled in stats from a, a random sample of Australians and we've found this. Get this. One in seven Aussies believe it is inevitable that one day they'll win the lotto. They have set this up as the financial cavalry that will come and save them and as a result, financially, they are living, as if that will come true, they are living financially like that now. Huge credit card debt, personal loans, you name it, to burn because they just assume, it's just simple maths, one day the numbers will come up and we'll be fine. Well, n- n- no, but they are worshipping and putting their hope in that outcome. Carly, my wife, when we were in Melbourne, she worked with L'Oreal and she would see people pump thousands, thousands, and thousands of dollars into fashion, into makeup, into beauty, because their little hell is that they might lose their attractiveness because they've invested all their hope, all their identity, all their value into this. Now, obviously, look. I know, you don't need to say it. That's not a problem for me. My rugged good looks just get better with... I'm like George Clooney. Um, you know, actually, actually, I'll put a card on the table. I get judged a lot for this. People come and mock me. They're like, how can someone be so Christ-like and so handsome at the same time? This, this is a burden. This is a burden. Don't be envious of me. This is a burden. Um, uh, I know, I know guys that are always at the gym. They don't go home to see their, their missus and their kid, they go to the gym. I know, go- <laughs> I know blokes that get spray tans. They're walking around town and they're orange. It's like, mate, you look like a carrot. But they get their value and their esteem from how they present. So we've got a little hell, the situation we want to avoid, the little heaven that we want to head to, that's our utopia, and people make these decisions for us. Go to the shopping centre, open a magazine, turn on the television, you will see pictures of what your heaven should be. You, my friend, need a six-pack. You need to take a beautiful woman home with you. You need a bigger house. You need a more powerful car. You need an ultra-high-definition OLED TV with a screen so big, Christ can watch it from the right hand of God. (laughs) How about this? There's more subtle ones. There's ones that we even endorse in church. You should find a partner and settle down. (laughs) Think about the success and the opportunities for your children. How about this one? You have a destiny. God has a plan for your life. So therefore, the outcome is set. This is what you need to head towards. And we follow that. Even things like just providing for your family. We set people up with these pictures of what it should be that you achieve. And we're building idols all around the place. Here's a big one. You should get into ministry. Do you know how many people idolise ministry? Because they feel, once I've made it, then I'll be legit. Now notice, nothing that I've mentioned there is bad. Because often the idols that we create, uh, they're not bad things, they're good things. But when a good thing becomes an ultimate thing, that's a bad thing. Yeah, really good. It's, look, it's a sin thing. The basis of sin, the, the basis of what separates us from the Father heart of God, it's not that people want bad things. It's that people want good things too badly. Yeah, really Most of the things that we worship, they're not that bad. But because we sow so much into them, we forget about him. And the created takes dominion over us. Because the reality is we're all worshippers. Everybody worships. Everyone commits their time, their talent, their treasure to something, someone. The opposite of Christianity is not atheism. The opposite of Christianity is idolatry. I've got a mate at work. He's an atheist. His name's Tony he knows that I do this stuff. He may very well be watching. If you are, mate, can you pause this and go and finish the seminar modules because I need them by Close of Business Wednesday. Um, love you, Tony. Uh, Tony pursues, and we've talked about, I've talked about this with him, he pursues an enlightened mind. He pursues pure science. He pursues being right. He hands me Richard Dawkins' books. We have arguments. We have conversations. And he's conceded, yeah, I think you've got me there. I am worshipping science. but he can't help it. Neither can we. We are designed, God put it in our DNA, to worship and pursue something. Idolatry seduces us during that pursuit with a lie. It says when you get this thing or this outcome, then you'll have peace, then you'll have rest, then you'll have joy, then you'll have security. I bet you'd feel more comfortable if you were sitting on a couple of million if I earn enough, then I'll be happy. If I marry that girl, then I'll be happy. If I get popular, if I become a social, social media influencer, then I'll be happy. If I can crack it to preach at Nelson Bay's greatest church, then I'll know I'm not a bum. Come on. On. And there's this lie that you can find a quality of life in these extra things that can't be found in the Father. But when you lift a created thing to a God level, at some point you'll be disappointed you'll be addicted or you'll be destroyed by it. Because the truth is, idols can't deliver long-term. They will not save you and they will fail you. Here's the irony. We get angry at the one true God because he didn't give us our false God. And we shake our fists at the sky because he hasn't made us... Rich, married, in ministry. My child isn't doing what I thought they would do. Here's some bad news, Baylife. I'm sorry to break it to you. God doesn't exist to help you get your idols. Jesus Christ is not a means to an end. Here's how you determine what your idols are. Now, it's hard. If I say, What are your idols? Let's just say we get the COVID safe mic going around again. What are your idols? Most Christians, well-intentioned, will say things like, oh, I'm living for God, I'm living for my family, I'm living for helping people, that's what I want to do, I just want to serve. I tell you what, you want to find out your idols? Ask yourself, what is your little hell? What is the fear? What is the stress? Let me ask you some probing questions from Tim Keller that we saw before. What thing, if you lost it, or what outcome, if it never came about, could rob you of your peace, your meaning or your hope? What do you sacrifice for the most? What comforts you the most? And here we go, this one gets me every time. What prayer, if left unanswered, would have you feeling that God has failed you? The Bible says that those things, the answers to those questions may very well be an idol. Here's my journey. I idolised fatherhood. We tried for four years to have Parker, and during that time, it nearly killed me. I didn't grow up with a dad. My my family situation when I was a kid was not pretty, and so I grew up uh, uh, only child of a single mum. And I determined, I'm going to give my kid everything that I didn't have. And slowly but surely, I started building an idol, that looked like fatherhood. And you say to everyone, oh, I'd like to be a good dad. People endorse that. It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? But I was investing so much energy, so much of my spiritual walk, so much of my expectation on God, give me this outcome. That four years without a kid, I was shaking my fist at the sky. I'd argue with God. I'd try and time up with logic. Look, I've got a job. I've got a house. I've got a cat. How about a baby? And all the time, God was just standing there, offering himself. Get get this, this is a crazy thing. It took me four years to forgive God. He hadn't done anything wrong. But because he wasn't giving me the idol that I wanted, I was resentful. And it hurt my relationship with him. (laughs) All right. We're going to look at some Martin Luther. I want to give you a new perspective on sin. This is hardcore theology, so strap your seatbelts on, folks. Here we go. In Exodus 20, we read the Ten Commandments. The first two commandments, the first two laws that God puts in place, one-fifth of all the laws that he's put over us, are against idolatry. You've got them up on the screen. One, you'll have no other gods before me. And two, you'll only worship the one true God. Now Luther, in his book, Treaty on Good Works, says this, you won't break any of the other eight commandments without having already broken the first two. Why do I covet my neighbour's wife? Because I'm not looking to God for my source, my supply, my satisfaction, my fulfilment. Why do I steal my neighbour's cattle? Because I don't trust that God will provide. So already I've let him down. The sin underneath all of our sin is that we are following another God and we're not chasing the heart of the Father. I sin because I'm chasing something other than Jesus and my actions reflect that. If you put God first, if you seek him above everything else, you won't end up as a workaholic, an insecure people pleaser, a drunkard, a porn addict, a self-righteous religious person. It won't take hold because your fulfilment comes from him, not from what's around you. You know the self-service checkouts at Coles? you know those things, those tools of the devil sent to torment us do you know, if you get one of the, it's got to be freshly baked the uh, loaf of white bread the Coles white bread, it's it's soft and doughy if you put that on the scale and then you take a cherry ripe bar from the confectionery rack, you can put that on the bread and the bread has enough absorbency of the thing it distributes it, the scales don't pick up that you've actually got it what am am I saying? this is a church stop (laughs) Um, stop teaching this stuff uh, please don't take notes, please don't, just ignore that Facebook. Why would I nick a cherry ripe? Well, from this, yeah, you're a sinner. Sinner, sinner, chicken dinner. But in this specific example, it's because I, the, 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 having something that I want and the, the comfort of having more becomes more important to me than trusting God for provision yeah. and more important to me than honouring God with my integrity. I may have a garage full of cherry ripes. Deep down inside, I'm not going to be happy. Mm, I will be fat. (laughs) Rounds of shape. I'm in shape. Um, We break God's principles because we want something more than God. Now, look, I'm not trying to cheapen teaching on sin. sin. Sin is breaking God's law and it breaks God's heart. Get that. But the healthy perspective and what has helped me reconnect with my father when I do fail... Is to consider sin as building my life on something other than God. So now condemnation doesn't cripple me, it doesn't break me. Rather than running in shame from God, I run to Him. I say, hey, God, how come I'm, why am I so focused on money? Why am I so absolutely besotted with human approval? Why do I need to be popular, God? Blah, 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 blah. And this draws me closer to His heart rather than guilt pushing me away. Now, to deal with your idols, to fix them up, this is from Mark Driscoll in in America. This is a good quote. We worship our way into idolatry, addiction and sin, so ultimately we have to worship our way out. Repentance is an important step. Look, look, Some Christians get all bogeyed about repentance. It's not a harsh word. It's not God smacking you around the chops with a bolt of lightning. Repentance is the act of turning from the gods I have elevated and returning to find rest in Jesus. Repentance is less about behavior modification and more about worship transformation. Who are you worshiping? You can't just kick an idol out and hope for the best because remember, in our DNA, we're all worshippers. We're all going to follow or pursue something. We are designed to worship something. So we have to replace our idols with something else, something new for us to focus on. Here's a quote from Scottish theologian Thomas Chalmers. The heart is so built by the Father that the only way to dispossess it of an old love is through the power of a new love. That new love should be Jesus. He should be our overriding passion. Um, Can I get the muses up, please? I want to conclude. This is a great way to conclude a sermon. I want to talk about a psychiatric condition called PICA's disorder, P-I-C-A. It's where you have an appetite for non-food items. It's where people hunger to eat metal or to eat sand or to eat dirt. One reference I read is that they eat office supplies. It's it's all part of a staple diet. Um, So so I'll I'll shame myself out. Um, There was this French theatre performer, we've got a photo of him here, called Michel Latito, who had Pica's disorder of the highest order. Uh, over 40 years, Michelle Latito ate nine tonnes of metal, approximately a kilogram a day. He was diagnosed at the age of nine when his parents busted him eating a radio, quite literally, <laughs> and they took him to the doctor who discovered his entire digestive tract, his stomach, the lining of his esophagus, uh, uh, esophagus all of it, the skin was thick like leather. It wasn't soft and and pliable like us. It was was rigid. So he could could eat almost anything. He he went on to eat nails and glass and he turned it into an entertainment career. What he would do is he would break metal into small pieces, he would drink uh, mineral oil to, to lubricate and then he would swallow objects in front of enormous crowds throughout Europe. He passed away in 2007 I bet he didn't die from iron deficiency. And when he did, they did an audit, he'd consumed this, get this, two bed frames, seven TVs, six chandeliers, 18 bikes, 15 shopping trolleys, and over a period of two years, from 1978 to 1980, he ate this. He ate the chassis of a Cessna 150. The things he consumed never nourished him. And in fact, some of it probably damaged him. Can I I put it to you? Maybe some of us have got a spiritual picas disorder. (laughs) Where the things we feed on, the things we follow after, the things we consume, we hope they'll satisfy us, but they're leaving us empty and maybe even damaging us. I want to finish with this verse from Jonah 2 verse 8. Those who cling... To worthless idols, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Rather than having my hands wrapped around idols, I should be holding onto the hand of my Father and the grace that He has for me. Rather than pursuing all these outcomes that will get me out of my little hell, why don't I just weigh my anchor into God and let Him guide me through? There is grace for you, Baylife. There is joy there is peace, there is rest. But can I say this? You'll only find it in him. Circumstances, wonderful, but you'll only find true rest in him. So this Father's Day, can I encourage you to take his gospel of grace, apply it to your heart. Use that grace to weaken your idols, to refocus on him, to push out the idols and make more and more room for your father in your heart spend time in his word. Look, look, yes, going after good things, I'm not absolutely poo-pooing that, going after good things, pursuing a good life, a blessed life. God wants good things to come to you, but he is the best thing. The word says, seek him first and all this other stuff will be added unto you. Can I pray for you? Hey God, it's us. Happy Father's Day. God, thank you. You have given us so much. You have given us yourself. I pray, God, that you would help us to see the things we've put in place instead of you, the things that block us from the Father's heart. And this Father's Day, I invite you into our lives to replace those things, to become our source, to become our contentment, to become our peace. Father, show us how to run towards you, not away from you. We love you and we honour you this Father's Day. And I thank you, God, for Baylife Church. I thank you for the love, the beauty, the progress, the growth in this incredible church. I pray for every person here and for every family that they represent, that you would become more present to them this week, that they would sense your closeness, they would sense, even hear, the beating of your Father's heart for them and be drawn towards you and that somehow God through an act of grace you would weaken our idols you would start to help us push them out in Jesus name Amen Amen while we're in this atmosphere of prayer maybe this morning is a great morning to reconnect with your Father in heaven or maybe for the first time I don't know what happens for you when, you when you head out of here, when you take your church mask off, you get in your car, you drive out through the driveway. I don't know what real life is like for you on the other side of this premises. But I know this, God knows. Whatever you're going through, you, Look, life may be great. Or maybe there's a challenge there. God wants to intervene. Maybe today's a great day to become a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who invests their their life under the love and leadership of Jesus. We're not asking you to join a cult. We're not even asking you to join this church. We just want to offer you God. So today, if that's you and you want to become a Christian or you want to come back, I'm going to pray a prayer. I would ask you to pray it in your heart as well, if that's you. After the service, please come and see Pastor Chris, Tristan, myself. We'll see if we can get some information to you, maybe hook you up with the Bible, and get you started on some first initial steps of this journey in God. Is that all good? Okay, let's pray. Hey God, it's us. Today I acknowledge my need of you. I thank you for the salvation that you freely offer, the grace, the goodness, the peace that you freely offer as a result of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Father, for all the idols that I have followed and am following, for all the sin that has got in the way between your heart and mine, I ask forgiveness. I ask cleaning and I ask freedom. And I pray, God, that through your spirit, you would lead me towards you. Through your spirit, you would turn my heart towards your heart and that I would truly know you as a father, as a Lord, as a saviour, as a friend. Today, God, and for me personally, God, every day, I choose to become a Christian. I choose to submit my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. If that was you.